Welcome to the Mosh Zone, episode 23, volume 23, week 23. Fuck yeah, guys. We're rolling on. We're moving on. Really pumped that we're getting this far into it and so much on the horizon. Really stoked to be able to bring episode 23 to you all. This week, we've got all the Mosh news. We've got Mosh reviews and our Mosh Interview this week is Richie of American hardcore band Wisdom in Chains. So all of that's coming up. Let's crack on with the Mosh news. First bit of news this week was Crossfaith have announced their fifth album, Ex Machina, will come out on August 3rd through Unified The Japanese metalcore guys recently released the first single. And for a band that kind of went through the EP phase a bit too much, there's been two or three in a row, they're finally doing an album again. Be interesting to see where they go. They were a band that I discovered off their first single called Blue. And I've been a fan since. I kind of waned off them a little bit when they started probably incorporating a bit too much electronic there for a while. But from all reports and from what we've heard with that first single, it sounds like Crossfaith are going heavy again. So really excited for that album to come out. As I said, it's called X Machina. comes out on August 3rd. We also got the taste of the new Silent Planet album. The song is called Northern Fires. It's coming out on Solid State Records. We don't know much else yet about the album. We do know it's coming soon. We also know that Silent Planet are touring Australia in support of Make Them Suffer very soon. So this is a great taste for anyone who's not quite sure who Silent Planet are and they can finally get a gauge of them. Really good band, really exciting band. It's very progressive metalcore. It's that gent, if that's a phrase you want to use. And it's exciting. There feels to be a lot of passion within it. There is all that technical musicianship, but there feels like a lot of passion within this band, not only on their previous releases, but also on this single. Really excited for further details to come out. None have of yet, but at least we've got a sample of the album. And that song, of course, I said is called Northern Fires through Solid State Records. Other album news this week was The Black Queen are going to release their second album, Infinite Games, on September 28th the alternative electro-dark synth band, who of course does feature ex-members of the Dillinger Escape Plan, will release that album in September, like I said, but they're also venturing to Australia for their first ever tour. Now, if you didn't snap up a ticket for Melbourne, it seems like you're late. The show has already sold out. There is also a Sydney show in there as well for the tour. Unfortunately, Brisbane, Perth and Adelaide and Tasmania haven't even been added. So it'll be interesting to see if that tour fattens out with some more shows. A music video was released this week from Pressure Cracks for their song Be The Wolf. Very good video clip. Very standard but very entertaining song. That is of course off their band's self-titled debut EP. Make sure you check out that video, and if you like it, make sure you check out the EP. British band Shapes have unleashed the second single from their upcoming release called Mixtape One, and that song is called War. 
They released it in a lyric video form, and I'm quite excited about this release and this band. They were a band that I heard of on their first album and didn't think much of it. They're heavily loved in the UK, and it seems like on this new release, Mixtape 1, they've kind of changed things up. I mean, they are making things a bit more accessible and we quite often say here in the Mosh Zone that when you go accessible, you can actually probably ruin things. But it seems like Shapes have actually done something that's working for them. That release I mentioned is coming out in July on the 6th and that lyric video, of course, make sure you check out. We've also got the other one on our website. Have a squiz, see if you like what they're doing. Let us know what you think. Melbourne boys Hadal Ma have released a new single called Idolatry and it's going to be coming off their upcoming EP Charlatan, which is released August 3rd. Fucking brutal. This Melbourne band are tech death metal and they do it so well. It is an absolute assault of the senses. Make sure you support your Aussie bands, and a band like Hadal Mal are definitely deserving of that support. Make sure you check out that single, and make sure you get behind that EP, which is up now for pre-orders online. British boys, Our Hollow, Our Home, have released a brand new song from their upcoming second album. We don't know much about the second album yet. We don't know when it's coming out. We don't know any titles. But we did get the first music video and the song is called Speak of Sorrow. This band, Our Hollow, Our Home, are one of those bands that when I was in England that they're unsigned but they've got a massive swell of support in the UK and Europe and definitely deserving of it. They're a hot property going around. They do things really well. It is metalcore, so what you expect from metalcore you do get. But the thing about... Our Hollow, Our Home, is it doesn't feel rehashed. It feels fresh, it feels vibrant. And this song is pissed off, yet beautiful and amazing. I really, really, really am excited for this album. It's one of my few albums that I think a lot of people need to give a go and need to discover. Hopefully, very soon we'll have further details about this second album. Also exciting news... I will be speaking to the boys within the next few weeks. Going to have them on the Mosh Zone. Really excited to be able to get an opportunity to chat to the guys. As I said, one of the hottest commodities in the UK. And I think Australia needs to wake up and show them some love. So we'll be having them on the show. Other news this week was the Amity Affliction are going to release their new album called Misery on August 24th. And they released the first single and... Dunno. Yeah, they've decided to do the Bring Me the Horizon thing. So it's all cleans. Um, it's very anthemic. They seem to still be singing about the same very depressing lyrical themes. Now, while you commend them for always doing that, like bands like Five Finger are criticised, Amity deserve the same criticism. If you keep singing about the same things over and over, meh, gonna get bored with it. It'll be interesting to see where Amity go with this album, and it'll be interesting to see if it's still as successful as their other things. I have a feeling that Amity is starting to run out of steam. I think 
they are starting to really lose their importance within the heavy genre. They're always going to have their hardcore fans, but I really think overall they're kind of fading out. This album, Misery, will be important for them, whether they can keep building on some form of success or whether it will completely bomb. My tip is it's going to bomb. So uh, that album, as I said, Misery, August 24th through Roadrunner. And the last bit of news this week was Code Orange. Surprisingly, out of nowhere, digitally released a new EP called The Hurt Will Go On through Roadrunner Records. There is a couple of new songs on there and a couple of remixes. And very excitingly, Mr. Corey Taylor of Slipknot and Stone Sour fame makes an appearance on one of the songs. We're going to delve into that EP later on in the show. It's going to be one of our reviews for the week. So that's it for the Mosh News this week. We are all done now. Don't forget, if you want to check out any of those music videos, any of that album details, any of that tour information that we spoke about in that segment, you can find it on our website and social medias. Now also, don't forget to make sure you're liking and following us on our social medias. We're on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. All of those are at The Mosh Zone. And also, don't forget to subscribe and visit our website, which is www.themoshzone.com. Reason you subscribe is you get sent email notifications as soon as any article any podcast is published on our website and social medias. It's a real simple way of you staying up to date, always, without a doubt. No matter what you're up to, you're always up to date. And of course, make sure you're visiting our social medias regularly and the website, of course, like I mentioned, because we keep you updated as we get updated. It's now time for Mosh Reviews. First album up for review this week is the new EP by Code Orange called The Hurt Will Go On. Now, Code Orange are one of those bands, whether you love them or hate them, you know of their name now. They burst onto the scene in 2017 with, without a doubt, a game changer called Forever. Now, they're a band who always aim to assault your ear holes and abuse your soul with every bit of music they deliver. Now, with this EP, they have maintained that ability to smash you around. It is as hard and unforgiving as you expect. You've got a new song on it called Three Knives. Now, this song feels very much like a natural progression from the album Forever. It is ridiculously brutal, so fucking fierce, and so tight. It is amazing. The way the band plays with absolute brutality but absolute precision is without a doubt commendable. And the thing about Code Orange is what they do is now being emulated by a lot of other bands. So Code Orange are kind of setting a new benchmark for everyone else. Now while there is that song Three Knives and it's very entertaining, really good, the real surprise on this EP is a song called The Hunt which features Corey Taylor of Slipknot and Stone Sour. This song is really interesting. It feels like early undiscovered Slipknot era mixed with the abusive code Orange sound. It has a catchy beat and has a massive breakdown 
It's got this industrial metal flair going in it. It's got the new metal dissonant guitars and it's got hardcore harshness that just all of this going on surprises you because it blends and works so well. Then on the EP, there's a couple of remixes and they are entertaining as remixes can be. What this EP overall does is it shows that Code Orange aren't slowing down. They know how to market themselves. They know how to keep people interested. As I said, their last release was 2017. Now they're like dropping a little bit of an EP. It's more of a B-sides feeling in ways, but it's so fucking entertaining. If you know Code Orange, you know what's in store. As I said, brutality, chaoticness, frenzy, everything you expect You will love this as a Code Orange fan. If you haven't quite given Code Orange a chance, then you could start here and then work your way back to Forever. But really, if you're going to start somewhere with Code Orange, get into Forever, then work your way up to this. If you have to speak negative in any way about this, is that there is only a couple of originals. Technically, the remixes are originals, but they're just reworkings of original tracks I really felt like I was getting a tiny taste and a tease and then that was it but that is also smart marketing because Code Orange are kind of letting you know don't forget about us here's a little taste we'll be back soon with more Code Orange are again showing how brutal and versatile they can be and without a doubt one of the best in the heavy genre The EP I am talking about is The Hurt Will Go On. It is by Code Orange. It is out now digitally through Roadrunner Records. And we do give it an 8.5 out of 10. Next album up for review this week is the new album by Impending Doom called The Sin and Doom Volume 2, out now on E1 Records. This is the band's first release in five years. Now, what are Impending Doom or who are Impending Doom? They call themselves Goreship. They say they have a love of God and presented in a gore-like heavy musical style. So once you hear that, you pretty much in a nutshell have what you're getting on this album. When they say that they have a love of God... They're not mincing their words. All throughout this album, it's evident and obvious. There is lyrics being shouted out like, Jesus died for you. Or things like, I am a Christian, a faithful man of God. Their personal beliefs and their stance in life are very much on show. They're unwavering and unapologetic about this. While you can tip their hat and go, I appreciate that, is that for you, having those lyrics yelled at you, that is something that you need to decide. Now, while the subject matter and the lyrical matter definitely isn't for everyone and definitely wasn't for me, the delivery, the musical delivery, was actually quite enjoyable Now, they do play Deathcore, and Deathcore, as we've said, can be a bit boring, can grow old, and a lot of bands have become bland in the genre. Something about Impending Doom is they make it 
still sound okay. They still make it semi-enjoyable. There is the low, guttural, commanding vocals. There's hammering blast beats and an unrelenting energy going on in this band. Throw on top of this, there is very much a dark, eerie, gothic overtone in atmosphere going on. Now, really, there's not much to this album. Really, if you know Deathcore, you know this album. If you know what a Christian band is, you know this album. If you know Impending Doom, you know this album. If you're like me and you think that Deathcore has kind of had its day and there's very few bands really doing it proper, you might want to miss this. If you don't mind the Deathcore sound and you still think it is relevant, give this a go. Probably one of the better ones you could probably get into. There are moments of enjoyment like songs like songs like War Music and Everything's Fake. There is a variety of tempos, some big riffs and whatnot, but at the end of the day, it is very straightforward. It is very simple and it is just a normal deathcore album. Don't get it minced. No matter what you say, it is very much just deathcore. I find this kind of album... After a few listens, I was done with it. I didn't want to get back into it. There will be people that will love it. Like I said, if you love Deathcore, you'll love it. If you love Impending Doom, you'll love it. But for me, the genre has become boring. And unfortunately, this album felt boring. I also don't need someone blasting and yelling at me about Jesus and God. So for me, it was just all a bit meh. The album I am talking about is The Sin and Doom Volume 2. It is out now on E1 Records. It is by Impending Doom. And I give it a 5 out of 10. Our last album up for review this week is the new album by Vane called Aerozone, Out now on Closed Casket Activities. Now, Vane have been a band that have been going around for a while now. They've got a demo and EPs out previously, but this is their major label debut. Vane have always had a lot of promise and a lot of build-up going on behind the scenes. They're a band that a lot of people have been touting for big things. Them and a few other bands like Jesus Peace are names that have been circulating around from people saying this is their year. So we go into Arizona with a lot of expectation, a lot of hype, and does it deliver? Yes, it fucking does. Wow, what a fucking album. This is dynamic and engaging, and this shows a band that has so many tricks up their sleeve and so many talents within the band that it is ridiculous. Now, this band are going to get a lot of references to Code Orange for the fact that it's very abrasive. It's very much an onslaught onto your senses. And when you go into this album, you need to be ready for an onslaught. It really does just batter and bruise you around, but it's so entertaining that it does. The album... Genre-wise, it kind of is all over the shop, and I don't say that in a negative way. There is really abrasive hardcore. There's big new metal influences. There's heavy metal groove. 
There's just so much going on and they're pushing the boundaries of what to expect. The highlights on this album are definitely in the second half for me. The band really feel like they're branching out of the comfort zone in the second half. While there is a lot of business as usual, there is still thunderous breakdowns, this push and pull feeling, the frenetic angular riffage going on. And it's all laced with this signature guitar effect feeling this band does. This band has a way of incorporating what feels like experimentation and it just seems to work. It's stylish, but it's gritty. It's groovy and electronic and it veers off and at times it feels like the thing's just going to lose all ability and just topple over. The band feel like they're just going at full tilt and any moment someone's going to fuck up and they're just all going to ruin it. But it constantly keeps moving. Without a doubt, one of my favourite songs on this album is a song called Doom Tech. It has this big groove early on and then it rides into this avalanche of crushing riffs. It has this clean vocal and this melodic interlude in the middle and then just comes back into an absolute hammering of an ending. Are there any negatives for me on this album? I don't really think so. I think the only thing negative you can say is if you're not really ready to be absolutely abused, then you're probably not going to want to have a listen to this. Also, you know, a band like this hopefully gains the attention they deserve because this is a band that have a lot of skill and a lot of abilities. Now, earlier I said the kind of the genres they play around with and definitely on this album... You can hear the Deftones, the Slipknot, the Dillinger Escape Plan, the Code Orange, even like a terror at times. There's a bit of everything going on and it's all structured and done with great success. This album will by some be tipped as kind of a crossover heavy album and I think it is but I also think this is a kind of album that can fill that void that Dillinger Escape Plan kind of left. There is a slew of of big mosh parts on this, ready for the hardcore kids. But then there's all that experimentation that you want and all the big hooks and grooves that you need. This album is going to make a lot of noise in different scenes of the heavy genres. And it will absolutely be backed up, hopefully, by some big tours. This band should be put on better shows after better shows. And hopefully, we'll, by the end of the year, we'll see Vane being catapulted up to the top of the hottest bands in this genre. Don't miss out on this album. Vane are a band you need to know and you need to know now. If you love all those bands I mentioned, I really think you'll be able to find something here. This album we are talking about is Arizona. It is absolutely amazingly performed by Vane. It is out now on Closed Casket activities and we do give it a 9 out of 10 so that's it for mosh reviews this week we're all done for the week now what did you think of the reviews do you agree with it do you disagree with it are you in a band have you got something coming out you want reviewed all of that make sure you get in touch send us an email themoshzone at gmail.com as always make sure you Get on the website, www.themoshzone.com. Also, 
jump on our social medias. You can get in touch that way as well. We're all at The Mosh Zone on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Get in touch. Give us some feedback. Help us grow this Mosh Zone community. Now, it is time for Mosh Interview of the Week. This week, I got to sit down with Richie of Wisdom in Chains. Now, a lot of people, I don't think, know Wisdom in Chains, but if you do know Wisdom in Chains, you know without a doubt they're one of the most important hardcore punk bands going around from America. They're up there with the Sick of It All, the Madball, the Terror, Agnostic Front. They're one of those pivotal hardcore bands, and to be able to have... Richie on the show is an absolute honor and privilege for a big time fan that I am. Thank you so much, Richie. The chat with Richie is coming up now. So let's start off with uh, hopefully a simple one. Um, Now, what age did you discover music? Like at what age did you realize that there was something out there that gained your attention? I'd say really young, uh, I was really into doo-wop when I was like a little kid, like five, six, seven. And like, uh, that's like music from the 1950s, like bands like Moon Glows and The Drifters, all that kind of stuff, because my dad was really into that stuff. And uh, when I heard that, I just loved it. And I used to collect the, I didn't call them seven inches back then, but like, the little 45s of those bands they all had singles out they were already really old by the time i was listening to them but i was really into that and then just every kind of music i could get my hands on after that you know i just found it interesting i liked it all you know but that was a start doo-wops back in the day so what was the first album or record that you bought with your own money then well Probably that I could remember something like going out of my way to buy with my own money was probably like Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath, like for early Black Sabbath album. I mean, I'm sure there was stuff I was picking up here and there, but like I said, there were probably singles, like goofy kind of, you know, little kid kind of shit. But when I heard Black Sabbath, that was no that was like I felt like that was my own. I wasn't taking that from my dad, you know, that was like my own discovery. And I went out of my way to get that stuff, you know. So was was Sabbath your intro into more of a guitar driven music? Was that your band that kind of brought you into heavy music? Yeah, I'd say definitely it was Black Sabbath that brought me into heavy music. And uh Back then, though, there was, you know, I liked stuff like Billy Squire. He had a really good album back then. It was, you know, I just, I couldn't find a lot of the heavier stuff. Black Sabbath was already pretty old by the time I was finding it, but it was new to me, you know? Mm. So when I found that, I didn't know how to categorize it. So I was just, you know, any other stuff on the radio that was similar, I would try to get my hands on it. So I loved Van Halen and Def Leppard and, you know, all that stuff back then. Because that was like new. The Sabbath was old, but for me it was brand new. So if I try to find anything equivalent on the radio, the best luck I'd have would be bands like that. Which are still great bands, you know. 
and uh, even some of the glam rock, early glam rock back in the day, Rat, you know, and, and all that crap, Cinderella. I loved it all, you know. All, all the glam metal. Yeah, yeah, the, the glam ballads. Still to this day, I love that stuff. Nothing, be- nothing better than recently, a terrible ballad. What's that? Nothing better than a terrible ballad. Oh, oh yeah. They're, they're, and, and they just, you know, it was mandatory. You put one on every record back then. So every glam band pushed two singles. They had like a, a rock kind of single and then their ballad single, you know. And some of them I thought were good. You know, a lot were real cheesy, but some were pretty good, man. So <laughs> you grew up you grew up in Jersey, if I'm correct. Yeah. Well, I grew up, I was born in Jersey, spent like my early, like little kid years there, then moved to Pennsylvania, but like an hour away. But all the family was still back in Jersey. So between Pennsylvania and New Jersey, you know, for the rest of my years, you know. So what was it like growing up in those areas as a kid that was into a bit of alternative music? Was it kind of widely accepted or was it always a feeling of a bit on the outside? Well, I mean, just even, you know, when I was that young and really into music, just that alone was kind of being on the outside. Because it didn't seem like a lot of the real young kids were into anything music, you know, music related yet, you know. So then finally, when kids were getting older and they started getting into music, it was almost always mainstream radio stuff you know michael jackson whatever's on the on the radio at the time you know and uh yeah i had no interest in any of that and uh but you know i did i did get in where i fit in you find you know you could pick out a metalhead a mile away with the with their sneakers and the, and the hair and stuff and this and this and that and uh i always got into into stuff with those dudes because they were like the ones who traveled you know they would go to shows they would you know, they would actually make moves. So it was a little weird, but I also liked the stuff that was going on in the city. I loved like early hip hop and early rap and all that stuff. And that was part of the mix. I mean, Run DMC and and Slayer went together, you know, when I was a teenager. Like people liked them both. You know, Public Enemy and Anthrax. They went, you know, we would buy both albums back then, you know. So when when do you think you became like a punk kid or a hardcore kid? When do you think you really got into the hardcore scene? Early teens, there was a band. It was called Nine Nine Nine. Oh yeah, and uh, yeah, and I really liked them, but I didn't consider them anything but another rock band. I, you know, I didn't know what category they would be in, but they were big on my playlist. I liked all their stuff. So then when I started looking more into just them as a band, like separate from all the other stuff I liked, then I would see bands like The Crack and then then a whole, you know, a whole different genre of music with its own name, you know, and then that would lead to like Ramones and Misfits and stuff like that. And then I was like, okay, so this is punk, you know, this is Oi. At first I didn't know. 999 was just another band in the mix with, you know, with a Led Zeppelin record for me, you know what I mean? Mm. But I really liked it. I could hear it was different. I just didn't know the category. And once I found out, then, I, yeah, I went for like a, I went on a mission and they did an archaeological dig and found this band and that band. and It all worked out. You went down the rabbit hole. 
yeah, you couldn't help it, you know. But it was, you know, it was a, discovery was a little hard back then, especially without record stores. When you're too young, you don't understand a record store. Once you, once you figure out the idea behind a record store, and you got a good guy working, a good clerk, guides you in the right direction. That they, you know, record stores back then, if he saw you buying something, he would tell you about other things similar. So it was like that was going online back then. Was going to the store. Yeah, you but, walk up, and if I did have a nine 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 record, he'd be like, "Oh, that's cool." Huh? I'm surprised you know about that. You ever hear about this band or that band? And then, and then you know, you start growing and growing. You know, back when music, I think, because um, I think we're the same age. We're in our mid thirties. It was back when music actually you had to put in the time and effort to discover. Um, it wasn't handed to you on a plate like it is now. Oh, totally. Yeah. No. Yeah. Now, if 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 your friend says, "Oh, have you ever heard?" You know. Bad Brains, uh, you know, demo. Oh, no, but I'll hear in two seconds from now. Google, play. Oh, wow. Back then, if you heard, you'd be like, nah, and it might take you half a year to get your hands on it. <laughs> but you're on, you know, you're on a mission looking all over the place, used bins, driving to different record stores out of state because your, 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 your place doesn't have anything at the time. So it was, yeah, it was a big deal to like even going to different record stores were like going to shows. You know, we'd make a weekend out of it. You know, let's get in the car. We'd drive up to two hours, three hours to hit a place we only heard about, you know. Write the address down on a piece of paper. Enough money for some pay phone calls in case we get lost. And start looking for the record store. Sometimes you're disappointed. Sometimes it was like walking into like a magical place, you know. So when did you pick up the guitar? Like when did you go, all right, I want to play an instrument. It's going to be guitar, and why guitar? Why not, you know, bass? Why not drums? Why not singing? Well, I, I always liked the, the guitar. I liked the sound of the guitar. I thought it was, like, important. It, you know, it's really the driving force be, be behind all, almost all of that kind of music. Mm. You know, even from, the, even from the glam rock I was listening to, it was like, unless I wanted to sing, you know, the drums were so simple, the bass was so simple. They all had killer guitar players, really upfront guitars. Even the punk bands, the guitars, really important. So when I was uh, in early high school, there was a guy, a good friend of mine, that played guitar, but he was like a lefty. And I would go to his house and he would just jam out. He was like the only guy that could play. So I would try to play his, and he told me right away, if you learn on this, you're going to be all screwed up because it's, it's not natural for you. It's upside down. But I was messing around with it anyway, almost a year and a half. <laughs> then I saved up some money, and I bought myself one. And when I bought myself one, he was right. I was completely backwards with it. I tried to just keep on playing it the way I was used to. But then when the songs were getting more complicated, it was getting real difficult to play a lefty for me. You know what I mean? I kind of had to relearn. So I'd say 16, 15, 14, 15 was probably like when I got the uh, the guitar and just started playing it and trying to learn songs. And you were obviously, from what you've said there, you were self-taught. You kind of taught yourself to play along or did you take some lessons along the way? Yeah, no lessons, uh, but self-taught except for that guy, Sal, back in the day who really... You know, he was the guy I was watching all the time. Like he would, he didn't really teach me, but he would show me songs. You know, and then showing me a song would be almost like more of a memory thing than 
a technique. You know, nowadays I'm learning more about guitar than I did back then because I look at guys on a on YouTube videos that are giving lessons. And I'm like, oh, geez, like, geez, I wish I knew that 20 years ago. You know what I mean? <laughs> like they're showing scales and this and that. So, you know, the places I'm going naturally are kind of, they're right. Uh, if I do a lead or if I do a runoff or something, they're, they're technically right. But I guess for someone who plays guitar traditionally, they wouldn't make much sense a lot of times. You know what I mean? But it's, you know, when you play guitar, any instrument, you're always learning. And so, you, it, you were playing guitar for obviously a few years. And am I right in thinking the first band you were in, Crutch, started around the time you were in the end of high school, start of uni? Was it around this kind of yeah. time? Yeah, it was like the end of high school. It was It was actually called, we were called Prophets of Rage <coughs> for like a little while. Prophets of Rage? Because it was lyrics. Yeah, wow. it was lyrics in a Public Enemy song. And uh, and we liked it. And we, I had it spray painted in my basement where we used to practice. Prophets of Rage. And we had that name and we played it. We played like two local shows with that name and then we just changed it to crutch later on but it was like basically the same guys and uh we recorded our first recorded our first song i think in uh 89 or 90 we just we saved it it was like really expensive to record back then so we saved up like 400 bucks like record one song it sounded like crap but (laughs) it was you know it was fun and um how how were those early years with crutch because um not without going too far ahead already you guys amalgamated with um the guys from daredevil and that kind of essentially became wisdom in chains but how was it being in that band during those years i mean did you guys start playing shows were you getting a sense of this is what you wanted to do yeah with crutch we uh we really started writing a lot of stuff and there was a real strong scene going on. So we jumped right into it and started playing shows. And the next thing you know, we had one demo, then two demos then a couple split seven inches. Then we just went for, you know, for a whole album. And, uh, we ended up making a couple albums, but then we did a couple tours overseas, played a lot over here. And, uh, one thing about back then you would sell so much music. I mean, once you had a CD out back then, you couldn't keep them in stock. You know, if you bring 200 to a show, they'd gone before you even played. Mm. Now you couldn't give away 200 CDs, you know? <laughs> so they were moving. We kept on pressing stuff. You know, we had a couple, we had a little bit of label support overseas that was pushing us. We had some good opportunities overseas, did some good stuff. Uh, and that's when we, when we met Daredevil from Holland was with, you know, Crutch on tour overseas and uh, we met those guys. So later on, that would be the connection, you know. But eventually, Crutch would just, uh, our singer, we were actually in Japan, and our singer, he went to a Dunkin' Donuts, he called home, and his girlfriend gave him news that, that she was pregnant. Oh. And then that was the end of that. The band, you know, band was over right there. He he went home, and he uh, he joined the military, and he's still into this day, he's in the military. Wow. That's a fair way to end he was the actually, tour. Yeah, he he actually hit me up last night, and he was at the Slayer show, the last Slayer show that was by, you know, that the tour went through his area, so he went to see that, and so he still loves the music, he's still into it, but 
as soon as he had the news, he got, you know, he got a little nervous and thought he needed a, uh, a real job or a career or whatever. Shit. Now, you mentioned yeah. touring with Daredevil. Um, now, how did the bring together of Daredevil and Crutch come about? Was it just a random conversation or was it really planned out? Um, as far as recording, when we made Wisdom and Chains? Mm, yeah. Or just the meeting them in general? Okay, he uh, the one guitar player from Daredevil was really good friends with us. His name's Martin, like a really, a real kind, good, sweet kind of guy. You know what I mean? So whenever we were on tour, even when Daredevil wasn't even playing, we would go to his house, have dinner, this and that. So one time he mentioned he wanted to, to start a new project that was more traditional hardcore because Daredevil was more metalish, like metalcore back then. And he wanted uh, he wanted me to play guitar in it. So I said, all right. And he originally he had in mind he reached out to Aaron from Death Threat, and he wanted to have Aaron sing on it. He would play the other guitar, and he had the Daredevil drummer. So they write, wrote a few songs, and they recorded them uh, in in Holland. And he told me to write a few songs here, and he was going to fly out here and uh, record some stuff with me. Whatever happened, he couldn't get hold of Aaron from death threat and i said you know let joe sing on him. joe has a good voice he could he could pull it off he wants to do something so then we got joe in the band and then that's when we started that stuff so that's it was just kind of an idea martin had for something fun you know what i mean and what was and it took off from there the sound that you guys did you intentionally go for you know something about wisdom in chains is that you guys and it's a compliment it's unpredictable I mean, you've got heavy punk, fast punk moments. You've got the oi influences. Then you can go kind of crossover thrash at the same time. Was it something that you guys set out to do or is it just something that naturally happened at the start? I think it's probably pretty natural just because the way the band started, here's a bunch of guys uh, just randomly writing stuff for a project. And... You know, early on, it was pretty, you know, it was pretty unified in the direction. It was like an old school hardcore band. And I think that's what what uh, <clears throat> Martin wanted from Daredevil. But once, you know, we, we made a, we put something out and then we just sat on it. We didn't, you know, it wasn't our real band. We still had the other bands. Years later, when we decided to start a new band, me and Joe, the singer of Wisdom and Chains, uh, we were in a band called Mushmouth and then changed their name to Out to Win later on. Mm-hmm. When that was when that was coming to an end, we we lived together. We still wanted to play. So I said, let's, you know, let's write some stuff. We'll start a new band. And he said, let's just use a couple of those Wisdom and Chains songs and then write new songs. And I said, all right, let's do that. But let's make sure Martin's okay with it from Holland. You know what I mean? He really set this whole thing off. So I said, Martin, we're probably going to start a new band. We'll start a whole new project unless you don't care. We're going to, we'll call it Wisdom and Change. And we're going to use a couple songs from the, that original release because we never really did anything with it. And then we're going to try to write an album around it. And he said, yeah, go ahead, do it. That, that would be awesome. So once we wrote the second time around for Wisdom and Change, the direction was not focused. You know, we just, whatever, if I had a song that like was, 
like more metallic. You know, if it sounded good, nobody cared. If as long as everybody thought it was catchy or whatever. If it was more oi, nobody cared. As long as it was, we didn't want an embarrassing version of any style, of course. Mm. But you know, it's it's definitely mixed up of you know the style. Some people, you know, there's there's some criticism because people don't want to. You know, they want they don't. You know, they want a a specific sound from a band, and it is what it is. But it's a little more fun to just kind of be able to throw anything that you think sounds good instead of being like, I think this sounds good, but it doesn't sound like us. And that kind of sucks when you're in that position. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, when you could be like, it sounds good. Fuck it. Let's put it out. You you, know, you're not stuck in a pigeonhole. You're not rigid. No. Yeah. Yeah. And And it does, it does make writing later on. If I, I mean, at this point, if every album had to sound like the first album, I, I might be out of songs for that kind of style of music, you know? But when you could kind of just do whatever you want, to a point, you know, even when we had like Slain, the rapper on a song, you know, I mean, it was a little criticism, but for the most part, people, you know, people got it. And it was, you know, for for a whole album, I don't mind the difference in styles because it's like a little trip. Hmm. You know what I mean? And, but uh, then, and but kind album... of kind of when we play live, the songs that we do choose are usually kind of similar to each other for whatever reason, you know. Was that the self-titled album you were referencing, or is that Die Young that you're talking about, that album? Uh, Die Young. Mm. Now, uh, Die Young would be the the one that we, we like, as a full, all guys from America wrote Die Young with a couple tracks left over from the original Wisdom and Chains. Now, um, at this stage, did you guys, because... I don't know, it, it seemed like you guys were heavily, or you toured quite a bit back around Die Young and then the next album, Class War. Um, were you guys yeah. giving it a big go? I mean, you still tour, but not as much, I'd say. Um, but were you guys like, let's let's go for this, let's, let's just grind at it, let's push it and go as hard as we can? Well, we, we didn't really say it like that, but we had no responsibility at that time mm. like our, our our singer didn't have a family he wasn't married he didn't have a son and by class war he was married and had a son so i think you could see kind of the uh the change in the pace around that album is basically around you know his family after that album we still toured but you know more measured like oh this one will probably make sense so let's just do this one before that yeah, if you ask us to do anything, we would just do it because we were just having fun with it. You know, we didn't have really a goal, but it was like, oh, wow, we just got, you know, offered this. Let's do it. We just got offered that. That'll be fun. Blah, blah, blah. But by the, you know, by the class war age after that, that would be fun, but we can't do it. You know, we got to make sure Joe's going to work. We got to make sure he's got enough money after this tour. We got to make sure he, you know, we just got to take care of each other by that point. So. We started being more selective with the shows, with the tours, and uh, just trying to keep steady releases and, you know, smart smart show choices, you know, instead of just randomly early on. Yeah, we just played anything. It was a good time. Now, around around Class War, did you, which was 2007, did you guys think you were becoming yeah. a name in the hardcore scene? Because I think it's interesting to see your trajectory as a band is 
you guys are always loved by bands, but then you polarize with the fan base, which I can't understand why. So it's like you're in 2007, you're watching a lot of bands that are like your style um, going a bit bigger. And you guys seems to be constantly grinding. You're like the kings of the underground. Um, did you see that things were not always going your way or did it feel like you was like giving it a crack anyway so it didn't matter? Yeah, I mean, we could tell like the way we were doing stuff wasn't the smartest way to do, do things, you know. Turning down some of the offers we had wasn't, you know, they weren't the smartest decisions we had made, but that's what we had to do and we had enough fun and we have a much you know enough love to keep just playing for whoever might be interested in for ourselves to do like key shows key standouts but if you kind of you know this with this thing it's like you know the greatest band might never leave the garage mm. and the worst band might be the biggest band on the planet because so it's, it's all about putting yourself out there you know what i mean and we really made a lot of mistakes and did a lot of, you know, dumb moves when it came to putting ourselves out there. But at the time we were playing it safe, you know, let's, I tell the dudes in the band, let's be honest. We just didn't have the balls to just go out there and do, you know, what other bands were doing mm. and just hitting the road and getting in your face and, you know, doing like a hate breed thing where you tore four years off one album nonstop until somebody has to give you, you know, the look that you're looking for. We were, you know, real selective and random, but we had enough of a, of a following and a scene, enough respect to, you know, still get good shows and have fun and good good reactions, you know, and this and that, that it was, you know, it, it satisfied us, you know what I mean? Well, you guys have always been a band that if you're into uh, bands like Madball or Terra or Sick of It All or any of these bands... Um, if you even didn't know who Wisdom in Chains are, you guys are always popping up within their, you know, um, inlays on their albums or in the studio doing gang vocals. Is is that just the respect and love that you guys have with other brothers in hardcore bands or is it something that just slowly developed that bond? Um, yeah, it's, it's, it, it is respect and love. I mean, those bands you mentioned... You know they're they're bigger than us. They're they're like full time bands, mm. but they always give us an offer if there's something coming up. If we want to do it, it's ours to do. And sometimes we could take the offer, sometimes we can't. But when we do take it, and when we're on the road with them, I mean it's just like family, and we have so much fun. Uh, you know, even like H throw H two O in the mix. They always look out whatever tour they have. You guys want to do it? If you want it, it's yours. And, you know, unfortunately, we can't do this one, but we could do that one. Good enough. Let's do it, you know. So, yeah, they're like good friends. And then even musically, we run ideas off each other. We listen to each other's stuff before it comes out. And, yeah, with Wisdom and Change, it seems the bands, yeah, the bands always like us. They appreciate us. A lot of people coming to shows, you know, there's there's a big group that doesn't know who the fuck we are. You know what I mean? <laughs> but it is what it is. But why you know, is it's that? It's fun to get in front of people. Well, th we never committed like bands like that. You know, like sick yeah. of it all. And I mean, they kind of laid like that's four members that make a living off music, and mm. that's so rare. Like they don't have side jobs, and 
this and that. They support families, they own houses, and they're a full-time band, you know, and that's awesome. But they, you know, Madball, Agnostic Front, sick of it all, they came from a time where they, you know, they made albums with, they were handed $200,000, $250,000 advance to make albums. Yeah. And if they were smart, they could really plan ahead, plan their futures. And they could become a business, become a, they could incorporate themselves. And because there, there was bands back then, you know, that made a lot of bad moves and had those same kind of big record deals, but just made bad moves or were party animals or whatever. And they're not around today. But the smart ones, the financially smart ones who took advantage of those days with the record industry, they're still around, yeah. you know, from that day. Like, you know, they would, bands like that would be handed 100000 for publishing, two, 300000 for a recording budget. They'd go spend 20 Gs, split up the rest, bank, and hit the road and tour, and everybody's safe and happy. You know, if you were smart, you could do that. Now, I mean, a label might give you, you know, if you're a band, you might get a couple thousand dollars to hit the studio if you're lucky. You know what I mean? Mm. It's just it's a different time, unless you're an established band. Yeah. But to get to that point, you know, it's a different story. We're talking early, early albums by those guys. They were they were receiving some some nice budgets and, and they were and they were smart. All those bands I mentioned that are still around today, not only are they great bands, but they're survivors. They're they're smart. They made the right moves, you know. They they didn't yeah, it wasn't all about the party, the drugs, the image, the ego. Because in hardcore, if they had, if they were egomaniacs, they wouldn't be around. If they were drug addicts, they wouldn't be around. If they were, if they made any wrong move, it's just the scene is that cold. You make a wrong move, you just won't last. So yeah. those bands I mentioned, they all played their cards right. They they all stood around and all still respected. Well, and like you said, they get chewed up and spat out. It's uh, it's a kind of scene where integrity is noticed and fake is removed. And in, yeah. it, I think when I feel like from an outside perspective that you guys started to really, I think, start to be noticed more, that's the wrong way of saying it, it was in 2012 and 2015 with the next two albums, The Missing Links and The God Rhythm. These albums seemed to get you guys a bit more momentum, it felt like. Um, you guys were then, you know, at one stage you guys were playing pretty much every This Is Hardcore festival. Um, you were dropping off to Europe, um, playing shows around Germany and, you know, France and that stuff. Around this time, even though it's still, you know, you still got your lives going on as well, so you're balancing, do you feel like, all right, we, we're finally getting what we deserve? We're starting to finally get the tours we need. We're finally getting some recognition we need. How did it feel like through these two albums? Well, those two albums, they were like, they were received pretty well, but we definitely didn't support. We didn't play as much as we played before that, but no. we did play smarter. So once there was a little buzz around those albums, and then the uh, the company that put those, that the label that put that out was a pretty big force in Europe, uh, Ice Cream put those two records out, mm. and he did well. He did well. He was based out of Belgium, and uh, so there was now all of a sudden we had a publicist attached to an album, and we didn't even know what that would mean at the time, but it would mean somebody's making phone calls for us. Somebody's 
getting people to listen to this before we come over there. Somebody's getting us to do what you're doing, talk to us and get us some, some press and, and help us spread the word. So we were like, oh, wow, that's great. Mm-hmm. And we saw a difference when we went back to Europe and, and played those songs off that album. And we saw a big difference, and it was definitely helpful. But it always came back to we have to make sure Joe and his family are good. So when, you know, when some bands are going there five, six times a year, we might be going once or twice, you know, key tours that we know the numbers, everybody can be safe. And, you know, and we could get the most out of that one, that one burst. Like I said, we just never really went for it. Like, like these other bands. So I got to give anybody who does that props who just says, fuck it, let's hit the road until we can't take it no more. And you might you might just build up that following you need, you know, you'll get something out of it, I'm sure. So we always relied on, you know, we tried to make just a good album at the right time, mm. the right tour with the right package at the right time, because we just couldn't go as, as hard as we wanted to, you know. And now we're coming into, what album number is this one? One, two, three, four, five, six, six, six or seventh album now coming out really soon. Uh, called Nothing in yeah. Nature Respects Weakness. And been pretty lucky. I've already had a listen. And ooh, uh, it feels like you guys are just... You're taking... Each album recently feels like a step progressing further and further into your sound. You feel like you're... feels like you're finding your spot, if that makes sense. Um, how did it feel going in to write this album? Was everyone contributing? Because you guys are one of those bands I know that there's so many influences you all contribute. Was it the same this time, or was there just one person writing? How did it go with this album? Well, it's... Uh, with all the albums, it's, it's musically, it might be me, like 80%, 90% of the music might be me. Mm-hmm. But what I do is I give a verse and a chorus musically. And then see who has ideas. I don't. I don't like to walk it in with a complete song and saying everybody learn this. And okay, that's our song. So I kind of as soon as I play the verse riff, and then I say okay, now the chorus is coming up. Check it out. I can tell right away if they want if they like it and they want to work on it. If they like those two things together, a verse and a chorus. All right, let's make a song out of this. Then we all come into play. You know. Then our bass player Evan on this one, he wrote two real solid songs, but he he does it in the other style where he writes a complete song, but he might only give two tracks to the album. You know what I mean? Mm. So he'll write it and, and we'll say, yo, that was a great, maybe change a few things, add some, some, some things. But with my stuff, it's just really raw. And then who knows? It could be the drummer. It could be Joe says, do this here, make a stop there, blah, blah. And then the song forms. But one thing we could do that maybe other bands can't do is we have, since we don't tour that often, since we are all super tight, I mean, we, we jam out and we, we practice and we write songs just for fun all the time, all year round. Uh, since we're not, you know, a full-time band, we we write songs on our own. You know, we I record them on a phone, send them to some, you know, even if there's nothing coming out, no album. You know, and then when the time for an album comes, it might be the other guitar player saying, remember that thing you sent way back? No, nah, no, nah. and he'll send back the recording I sent him half a year ago let's do something around this so since we're not super busy with the tours and and being a full-time band 
we do put more effort into writing because it's, it's just an easy process for us. We all, we do it at my house. We're not paying for a rehearsal studio. Some bands have to deal with that. It's a little, it's a little harder because when you're a full-time band and then the only off time you have, it's time to write an album. It might not be in your best interest to work like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's like, we got to get this stuff done. Even if these songs aren't great, we just got to deal with them because we need this album. And this is the only time we have to write. Well, and that's the thing so about we, this we album. kind of got, you yeah. can you can see that it's um, the time and effort has been put into it because uh, there's no there's no filler. Every song holds its own on the whole album, and you know there's songs like I mean I love songs like Heart of a Champion and Duck Down Stay Down. These kind of tracks really you know they punch home. And like I like you said, if you were rushing to get the album done, I maybe these wouldn't feel as full, these songs. Um, and it feels like, for me, it feels like so far, I mean, I love the last two, so I think this album is beating them, um, and I've only spun it two or three times, so it's going to grow. Oh, great. Um, and yeah. I, love, I love that it's taken what the God Rhythm had and the Missing Link, and it's just, it, it feels like another step forward with that sound. Um, the punk moments are there, the oi moments are there, and then when you guys want to go hard, it goes hard. Um, it's sick. It's fucking, yeah, it's, I think this could be a big, big spot for you guys album-wise. Um, one question I've got is last two albums had, it was really interesting with your artwork because people were getting up in arms about, you know, the pyramid was there and you had the trident and, you know, you were subtly telling a story about the album um, this artwork, there's no, there's no pyramid. You stayed away. No, this is, uh, yeah, this is real simple. Like, you know, I, uh, I had a couple bad reviews I heard already about the, uh, the artwork on this one. Really? So I, I don't, don't think it's bad. I think it's yeah. simplified. I, yeah, I like it. I, I, there was the same guy that did the owl on the last album. Hmm. He did the skull on this album and he just had a picture of that skull that half a skull and he put it up on Instagram, and I was like, "Wow, that could that could be something crazy." I like that. I like the way that looks, the way that feels. You know, the skull—it's typical from Die Young. We, there's always skulls in the mix, missing links. There's skulls, you know. So it, it, as goofy as it is, you know, we love skulls, misfit style. Yeah. But when he when he when he put that picture up, I said, "Yo, could we use that somehow on the album?" He's like, he's, "And again, he was a saint." He said, "Whatever you want, man." Now, with the, when he did the art for the owl, he had that owl, and then we, we sent it to a graphic artist, and I gave him the ideas, and he really brought it to life. His name is Busky. He does a lot of art for Mad, Madball and uh, all types of bands. He's a really good graphic artist. He wasn't available on this one, and right there I knew like it was almost like a member of the band wasn't available for the artwork, like for the whole package. So I got a little nervous, and but to me the skull like it could stand on its own because I liked it so much, and there was so much going on in the other ones, and there were some people that, you know, maybe it's I I enjoy reading into stuff like that. Other people, mm. like if they re have to read into something, they think it must be all for negative. Everything out on this, you know, in this art must be for a negative reason, which you know it's just not. Yeah. So I just said maybe we could just go really raw, real simple. Because the art, 
by itself is is just strong. I didn't even want want the band logo on it, oh, but wow. uh, him at the label, he he wanted it in there, and uh, I was a little disappointed, but everybody in the band thought it should be on there too. And uh, I just I liked it, but there was one, yeah, like I said, you know, there's very few reviews out now, but the one I saw, they they liked the album, and I appreciate you like the album, man. it means a lot when when people dig it. But he, he did not he did not like the artwork. I love it because, like, like I said, you, you look into it and you look at the skull and the eye and you, when you look at the eye, you can see that it could be something in the in the background of the eye, you know, or it could not. It could just be yeah, a reflection definitely. and you really delve in. And, I, I mean, I think it's probably good you kept the logo. Um, that's the only thing that probably is the positive that you did that might have not been there. I think it's nice. It's simple, yeah. but it's intriguing. Um, and you guys clearly are a band that do care about your artwork. There's too many bands now that don't care. They kind of, because we're in a digital age, they feel like the artwork's just a thumbnail, so it's not important. But you guys have always paid attention to that. Oh, yeah, I love artwork. Even from, I was, we were just having this debate among our band not too long ago, and the my two favorite covers were... Mob Rules by Ooh, yeah. uh, Black Sabbath. Mm-hmm. I always loved that cover. It was so evil looking and eerie. And then Molly Hatchet, the uh, Death Dealer, that Frank Frazetta oh, yeah, painting yeah. the guy on the horse. Oh, yeah, I used to love that cover. So, yeah, that art is important to me. And I, I still think, even though we're in the digital age, I think the people like that stuff. Because when I talk to kids, I go to shows and I see their phones and I see the background of their phone screensaver is... Uh, is a mad ball, you know, logo, or it's uh, the agnostic front boots. Like they're just putting art in a different place, but they still love the art. I think, yeah, but I do think bands kind of, you know, just graze right over it quick. They're not even too interested, mm. but art and music, I mean, that should go hand in hand. Now with this album about to be released, is there, What's the go for touring-wise? Are you going to step back over to Europe? Are you going to hit America? Is there possibly Australia thoughts going on? I mean, we're really far away, so it's probably not easy. But what's going on tours coming up? Well, we have one tour. uh, It's going to come out the 20th. And then, of course, we're going to play This Is Hardcore at the end Mm -hmm. of July, right after the album's out. And uh, then we're just going to jump jump right over to Europe for for probably all of August almost. Oh, wow. So we'll be over there for August. We'll be pushing this. And now this time around, it's a little different because we have a, a European label that licensed this album over there. Uh, the last one didn't have that. The God Rhythm was just an American label that was doing its best to push you know push it over there, but it was kind of rough. So already I'm kind of seeing more of an interest in the European market for this album than I saw in the last one. So hopefully that tour goes good. Uh, it's a kind of festival season over there. So there's like those big off the wall festivals, plus little tiny club shows in the middle of small towns. It's a real mix of a tour all over the place. Then we did have talks about doing, I think a, a, like a week's worth of shows, maybe like four days worth of shows in Australia. Ooh. But it was it was kind of like uh, it would take up kind of it would take up more than four days. Yeah, but it was four shows, and uh, everybody in the band wants to do it because like to us Australia is like this, it's like a mystical magical place. You know, we only know it from 
television and like, you know, the nature shows and it looks like the coolest place on earth. So everybody has wanted to go there forever. It's just a matter of, uh, getting these shows down. It's almost like, a, you know, you know how it is over there. Oh, yeah, it's, it's almost like a flight after every show and, and then, uh, it's, a lot of long trips, and then the trip there and back is also almost two days out of your out of your deal. So if we could, uh, as a band, get our singer in a good position where he could be comfortable to take it, yeah, we're gonna try to figure out a way to get over there. Yeah, we're not uh, a we're not an and, easy country. We're so far away, and then every major city is eight hours or more away from each other. So it's. Uh, yeah. Yeah, we're, we're we're fucking we're weird. We're fucking very weird. But um, I know I know for a fact that our hardcore punk community um is slowly reviving itself. So I think when you do finally get the chance to come down here, um, you're going to be welcomed with open arms, and you know, and hopefully people oh, actually great. turn up and buy a fucking ticket. Um, so we'd we'd love to have you here eventually. Um. Uh, now, I want to ask a couple other questions while I've still got you. One that I'm I really respect and love is that you're straight edge. Yeah. Now, why why decide to you know? There's nothing wrong with it, and you don't really need to give a reason why. But when you started straight edge life, why and has it been hard? You know, you're in a you're in a scene where a lot of people are getting shit-faced and wasted and, you know, has there ever been moments where you're like, mm, I don't know if I can be in this scene being straight edge? <laughs> no, nah, not really, but uh, I I like, like, total chaos and pandemonium. So, <laughs> you know, my friends are, are like, you know, they're they're animals. They're the, the drunks and the drug addicts. And, you know, when they go a little too far, you know, then we all got to, you know, we got to, calm everybody down and keep it cool but I, w- I was when i was real young my mom was hit by a drunk driver oh and she got real fucked up she didn't die but she got real fucked up like she went through the windshield and she was out of commission for a long time and i was like you know i was maybe eight nine and i just said I'd, i'll never drink and uh back then when that happened like drink drunk driving now is like a big deal they make a big deal out of it back then it was like a normal traffic violation, you know? And then I just never drank. Then all of a sudden I'm in a scene where there's another sub scene within it that is straight edge and this movement that they, they don't drink, they don't do drugs and all of this. The only problem is I really didn't like the bands from that part of the scene. Mm. So, but so I was straight edge, but I was, I wasn't interested in youth of today or Minor Threat, or a lot of the early, you know, straight-edge bands. But I would like Judge. I always loved Judge and that first album they put out. And So I, I, I you know, I, I could be straight-edge, but also have the luxury of just kind of doing whatever I wanted. You know, I, I never put extras on my hand. You know, I got a tat, I got tat, straight-edge tattoos, but I never I never really indulged in the, just the straight-edge scene. It was only the hardcore scene I was interested in, you know? Mm. So it was kind of, there was never interest to, to go, go party with the guys because I was at the parties. I was the, the life of the party sometimes, you know, even without doing anything. But I didn't have that interest. And the singer of our band is also, he's he's like me in the sense like he's straight edge, but he's a straight edge that just never did anything. He never even tried anything no. like me. 
So when you meet people like that, and he also has a personality where he never seems shy or out of place. He seems like he's the life of the party wherever he goes. But he, you know, so I think if you have if you if you have that kind of personality, you don't think like, ah oh, man, you know, maybe I could just loosen up a little bit if I have a couple beers and I get in, you know, then I could understand people, you know, it, it being hard for certain people. But whether it's I was lucky or if it's a curse, I don't know. I just had the personality where I never gave a shit about anything. You know, I never even thought twice about anything. So not being the guy that's that I'm still partying, but I'm not indulging in any of the, the poisons. You know what I mean? But I was still mm-hmm. having a ball at all of these events, still running around with everybody. So it was never really hard, you know, but it was uh, but it was always fun. As long as you're having fun you probably wouldn't be tempted to do it. But if, if you're uncomfortable and you do think having a few drinks will help you out, you might as well, you know, why not? Yeah. Uh, I, I, I love it. You're, um, straight edge. I've been, um, I've been sober off drugs for about 10 years and sober from liquor for nearly a year now. So, um, Oh wow. Yeah. It was something I had to do for my health and my wife was just, she, she know you know, it's that thing. I, I had a problem, but I didn't realize it. Um, and I'm I'm enjoying being out more as the sober one than I do when I was drunk. So, um, oh, awesome! Yeah, you yeah. remember the next day exactly, and I I can actually yeah. do something the next day. <laughs> yeah, instead of staying. In <laughs> yeah, bed. really. Yeah. Now I've got pretty much one last question before I I'll wrap things up, and it's about hardcore. Um, someone like Mm -hmm. yourself i'd love to it's kind of a multi-questioned one one thing is what does hardcore mean to you um and do you think hardcore is still as positive and powerful in 2018 like it was in the late 90s early 2000s all right well what it means to me is kind of like you know everything we have in life it's kind of if if you think about it it's almost uh if if you enjoy going to a sporting event you want to see your favorite team you kind of need society for that you know what i mean uh your work a lot of what people do after you know like where i live there's a lot of water parks and people indulge in water parks or golf courses and these are all things like Society, you need society for these things. Well, hardcore to me is like you almost don't need anything. You know, you don't, you don't you don't need a taxed on the record society. You need just hardcore people, mm-hmm. and they'll somehow get you to play London without any working papers. They'll get you across the Canadian border border to play a show in somebody's basement without any working papers. You know, they'll figure everything out. And so it's not like necessarily DIY just by us, but it's like DIY as the whole unit. You know, mm. when we get merch pressed, I don't go to some guy who presses merch for the local police force. I go to a guy that just presses all hardcore shirts. Yeah. You know, same with the record labels, same with everything. It's just all, it's all self-contained and and still to this day, you know, underground, isolated from any mainstream music. And it continues. It doesn't, it's not like, Nobody's becoming a millionaire off it, but it maintains without any support from the outside. Hip-hop needs that. Rock and roll needs that. 
you know, pop needs that. They need radio stations. They need big money and internet advertisers. We we could maintain and have been, you know, the history of hardcore, maybe 40, 50 years old, however, however old it is, without ever having it to this, to this day. And it's to me, that's impressive. So for me, hardcore is just not needing anything and still making it happen. You know, no help from the outside, all within. Yeah, it's a community. And as for it being... Yeah, totally. It's a, it's a self game, and you could you could argue that about anything, but hip hop without the money, that's a different story. You know, hip hop without the lawyers, without the, the the ads, without the generating that sort of revenue, without being pushed nonstop, they would be hardcore, but they're not. We're hardcore. You know what I mean? Yeah. So we, you know, it stays here. You're, you're doing this. Uh, you're calling me up. I'm answering the phone. Nobody's paying us. You know, it's it, everything's out of love, you yeah. know, interest. And as far as being positive, I think it is, you know, it is just as positive, but uh, the older people in the scene may not see it that way. But uh, I think it's it's just as important to somebody pretty young that's getting into it now as it was to, to me when I got into it. You know, maybe I can't relate to the particular band that they're falling in love with, but I bet that love feels the same, you know? So yeah. I think it's, uh, and I, and I see the kids and I see the young kids getting out at a show, of, you know, eight people stuck in the car and they just drove from Boston to Pennsylvania for six hours and happy as could be. And I did the same stuff, you know? And I think, I think that, yeah, the positive energy is still there. There might be a, a different kind of, uh, Maybe it's not like we talked about earlier. Maybe they don't work as diligently as we did to discover the next band, but it's not their fault that they don't have to. Nobody's saying they wouldn't if they had to, you know? Oh, yeah, exactly. So well, it is what it is. It is. Yeah, I, I, think, I, think, I think it's, yeah. I think it is exactly like you said. It, it's still the same, just in a, it's evolved a bit now. It's, everything's a little bit different. Sure. So. Mm -hmm. And I think it's yeah. an easier time probably to be a hardcore kid than when all of us grew up as hardcore kids. Um, it's a bit totally easier. Totally, I agree. So, last... But you can't, you can't blame them for that. You know, they'd be no. ignorant not to use the tools that are there for them, you know? Well, you can't hate on them, no. I mean, a lot of people do, which is no, yeah. confusing. Yeah, um, yeah. Last thing I do, Richie, is a segment called Pick Your Poison. So, we wrap things up with you get two options... And you have to pick mm -hmm. the one that you'd stay with for the rest of your life. Some some are going to be easy. Some are going to be hard. Okay. So okay. we kick things off with pizza or burger. Pizza. Oh, chicken or beef. Mm. Damn. Maybe beef only. For, or no, maybe chicken just for the health. <laughs> for the extra protein. Um, beach or snow? Ah, oh, damn, man. Fuck it, beach. Cat or dog? Dog. Cooking or dining out? Oh, that's almost impossible. I love both. Damn. You know what? Dying out, fuck it, never cooking again. <laughs> Baseball or basketball? Ooh, I'm not really a fan of either, but as far as playing, I'll take basketball. Okay. Sly or Arnie? 
Oh, you got to go with uh, Sly all day just for the Rockies and the Rambos. Yeah. Uh, Misfits or Danzig? It's Misfits with Danzig or just Danzig, right? Yeah, exactly. Okay, Misfits. Slayer or Pantera? Slayer. Easily. This next one will probably be one of the hardest because I know your your boys there, you know, in both of these bands, but Sick of It All or Madball? Not an easy one. I wouldn't be able to pick this one either. That's very unfair. That's an unfair choice. (laughs) That's unfair. I'll go with Madball because they're a little bit younger and I might get more out of them. (laughs) Okay, nice. Good answer. Uh, Sabbath or Van Halen? Oh, Sabbath. Um, Van Halen's no joke, but Sabbath, that's the gods, you know. Now, only a couple left. Star Wars or Star Trek? Star Trek, 100%. Um, Touring or recording? Recording. CD or vinyl? CD. And the last one, would you prefer to see a movie on the couch or in a cinema? Uh, hmm. I'll go with the couch if it's forever, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's easier and and cheaper. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Thank you so much, Richie. That was fucking A-game. Man, that was stellar. Really good fun. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. Thank you very much. I'm really glad you dig it. So that was my chat with Richie of Wisdom in Chains. Thank you so much, Richie, for taking time out for the Mosh Zone. Really, really appreciated it. Really good chat and a really good opportunity to get to know not only all about him, but about Wisdom in Chains. Now, don't forget Wisdom in Chains' new album, which is called Nothing in Nature Respects Weakness, comes out on the 20th of July. Now, we will be reviewing that as well. And I've got to say, if you like the hardcore, if you like the punk, if you like the mixture of things, you need to cop this album. Get online, pre-order it. And if you haven't heard Wisdom in Change yet, make sure you go online and delve into their discography as well. Really good band. And such a solid dude, Richie was. Thank you again for coming on the show. And that is this week's show, episode 23 of The Mosh Zone, done for this week. So, thank you for listening in. If you're a first-time listener, thank you for giving the show a go. I hope you come back in future episodes. If you're a frequent, regular listener, thank you for tuning in as always. Now, always take this time to say, if you've got a bit of spare time this week and you enjoyed this episode or you really enjoyed a previous episode, please help us out and share it on your social medias. Share it on your Facebook, share it on your Twitter, share it on your Instagram. Help us out. Also, tell your friends about the podcast. You know, tell your best mates who like heavy music, you know. Tell them all about the Mosh Zone. Tell your mum, tell your brother, tell your sister, tell your nan, even tell your neighbours. Help us spread the word about the Mosh Zone and get out to more listeners. Now, I also need to ask that if you're listening to us on iTunes Podcasts, We also need your help there. If you've got the time, can you give us a rating and a review? 
The ratings and reviews on iTunes helps us get out to more listeners, helps us put us higher in the ranking, and that way people that have never heard of us can get on to us. So if you're listening on the iTunes podcast system, please scroll down on our page there and simply give us a rating or a review. Really, really would be very appreciative if you can. If you've got the time, please help us out this week. Also, don't forget, make sure you're on that website and subscribing. The website is www.themoshzone.com. And also, don't forget to like and follow our social medias. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and all of those are at The Mosh Zone. So that's it. We're all done. Thank you again for tuning in. We've got some big shows lined up, big guests coming up over the next few weeks, like we do every week. Thank you. Make sure you have a safe week. Open the pit.